our question from Monday, where do you find the most chaos in your product <clears throat> management process? And I noticed Jason set his alarm early Monday morning to get up. He had his answer, and I think before 9.15. I mean, it went up at 9. No, no, no. I had my answer on this about 15 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> product Growth Leaders proudly presents the Business of Product Topic of the Week a podcast that explores product management and leadership topics through interactive conversations with our product leader panelists. Conversations that will challenge you to think about your thoughts on the topic and perhaps get you to change your mind. I am Grant Hunter, co-founder of Product Growth Leaders and the host and facilitator for these conversations. Listen, subscribe, and add your voice to the conversation every week in the Product Growth Leaders community. Welcome to Product Growth Leaders Topic of the Week. Our topic this week product management chaos. It almost seems like this should have been the theme for the year. Just chaos, right? Mm -hmm. For sure. <laughs> With everything going on. So we'll get right started uh, with our question from Monday. Where do you find the most chaos in your product <clears throat> management process? And I noticed Jason set his alarm early Monday morning to get up. He had his answer and I think before 9.15. I mean, it went up at 9. No, no, no. I had my answer on this about 15 years ago. <laughs> Touche, yes. So the first answer we have up here is from Jason. Uh, the most chaotic piece for me has been managing enhancement requests and ideas from different stakeholders while maintaining a track of innovation and proper prioritization. Lots to do and a few to do it. So talk to me, Jason, about 15 years of this chaos. Yeah, I mean, this is just enterprise product management at its peak. Uh, Rich Marinov did a great piece on this. I think it was in 2014 or 15. All the different kind of inputs to uh, an enterprise product manager with an already established product is just a lot to balance. And you honestly can't make everybody happy. I mean, Steve, I don't know how many times you talk about this as well. Um, I always like to say that I got uh, to where I was in product management executive lore by saying no and being the VP of no. Mm -hmm. People hear that a lot from me, no. And, um, and yet you don't yeah. want to be the no department. You, you don't, know? and you're not doing it out of just spite, um, but it's because you're not only as a product manager, especially the head of product management, are you in charge of the roadmap, but you're in charge of protecting it. Mm -hmm. and, and so, and sometimes that comes with the no. And as a result of being told no, you know, individuals like to kind of work the system either politically or through other means, maybe technologically go to people that they think can actually get the work done. And in which case you have to kind of run interference as a, like a goalie in soccer um, to, to keep all the projectiles from coming from every different direction. So at times in, in, in my time as a product manager, that has been the most uh, chaotic moments. Mm -hmm. So so a quick question, a couple follow-on questions on that. One, how do you think about bug fix versus enhancement request? I mean, there's a common, you know, that's a common thing where, oh, it's a request, you know, is it a bug fix or is it an enhancement request? Steve, mm -hmm. what was, you used to have a good line on this, and yes, I'm throwing you a softball and you don't know the answer. <laughs> but <laughs> it was something like, you know, a bug fix is something that we coded it wrong, uh, if, if it was a bad requirement, it's different. 
Yeah, I do remember sort of that, but it was like, uh, you know, a SEV3 is, it's not documented. It doesn't work as documented. So just change the documentation and the code's fine. Um, Or a SEV4 is, it's working as documented and we hate that. So, (laughs) you know, in that case, it's an enhanced request. But, you know, if it's working as designed, then, you know, uh, it's a change to a working design is an enhanced request. Yeah. Uh, but I, but you're right. I mean, a lot of I, one of my, you know, I, you know, I think I'll just go ahead and commit myself to being the guy who always <laughs> says terrible things about salespeople. Um, and you know, I've actually worked well with really good salespeople. Uh, but one of my uh, one of my uh, personas for sales is is uh, uh, Kevin, the world's worst salesperson. Um, but in real life, you know that that person said to his customers, you know, turn in everything as a SEV1. That way they'll have to work on it. And our, you know, our legal commitment was if we accept a SEV1, we will resolve it within 24 hours. And so suddenly this, you know, all of Kevin's customers are saying, no, this is a SEV1. You know, we don't like that blue that you used. And so we ended up having two severities, you know, customer reported severity and the actual severity. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, in one of the workarounds that my team or our teams have been using this, I think we're get, trying to get to Grant, was this like gray area. Um, is it uh, is it an enhanced request or is it a missed requirement? And, uh, oh, you want to get me on a pedestal for missed requirements. <laughs> you know, you know, I love it when when customers or internal stakeholders are saying, well, that's clearly a missed requirement. So therefore, it's a bug. Therefore, it has to be done. I'm like, that, that's not a thing, you know. Um, right. And but there that's is a gray area a thing. I love there that. Is, yeah, there's not a thing. You can't determine what's a missed requirement. Um, you know, the customer never told me. It's never was a requirement. But um, you know, they do. They we will. You know, try to figure out if if something is an issue or if is it an enhancement, and that can be where a lot of the chaos stems from. Is that kind of discussion especially at level two, level three of your support tiers. Mm-hmm. Um, in which case, like Steve said, if it's an issue, sometimes that's easier to, in order to get into a patch uh, versus enhancement, which goes through a little bit more due diligence in order to kind of get it into, you know, kind of formal GA release. Mm-hmm. And so that is well, we kind of a workaround is to make things issues versus enhancement. Yeah, I, I, we do things a little differently. It's, it's interesting to actually to hear the conversation because in an enterprise organization, um, where you have thousands of people, thousands of, of uh, developers working on enterprise-level systems. Um, you know, we look at the world in terms of discretionary versus non-discretionary. We look at the world in terms of steady state versus priority. We, we code everything, you know, down to a 15-minute increment for our developers. And we look at things, you know, we, we started by following the uh, Gartner format, which is the Run, Grow, Transform. I mean, you talk about bug fixes and you look at what Gartner has mapped, you know, they always say about 50% of the world is in run, that non-discretionary spend. So we took that and we actually broke it down into four categories. We have, um, we have technology run, you know, the tech debt that we have to service because the architecture might be out of date or it's, you know, we just have to do the bug fixes. And most of those products are steady state, pro- uh, steady state products are under 200 hours. Um, there's no, there's nothing other than, the CTO saying do this and, and that eats up probably about 
I want to say close to 40 to 50% of, of, of what you have in, in any cycle. And our cycles are monthly prioritization meetings or within the sprint because we're, yeah. we're gone to pods right now. But when you look at what we've done is, so we have this, this, uh, we have this tech run and we have this prod run, which in the prod run are things like uh, customer, customer committed, customers paying for that. That's non-discretionary. You have to do it. It's a, or a regulatory change. You, you have no choice. You have to do it. And then we break the other part of the world into EBIT and uh, you know things that are going to grow EBIT and things that are going to grow revenue. And what we're getting, we're starting to see is you, you can really start to see you know, your business case is written for you. So if you're looking to modernize a platform, you can easily do that because you can see how much tech and prod run we might have in this in, in the system, and and we're and we're committing dollars on a non-discretionary basis. When you look at the discretionary side, grow EBIT. That, that's all your product enhancements. Um, and it represents a smaller, actually, it represents a larger portion than our grow revenue, which includes new things, roadmap, roadmap items, and anything that would be um, transformative. So, you know, for an organization as, as big as ours, we, it's, it's interesting when you look across it, you know, and, and you're, you're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars, you know, and millions of man hours that are being spent in a given year, multi-millions of man hours that are being spent in a given year to do this kind of development work. You look at it and you boil it down to, we don't have a lot of things in the pipeline that we're, that we're truly growing revenue. Most of what we're doing is around um, growing EBIT and making those enhancements to grow EBIT. And, you know, and if we get to, you know, it, it, it's, a, it's a very, very happy day if we actually have a roadmap item <laughs> on anybody's development calendar. And then we're spending a lot of time, you know, um, you know servicing tech debt. Um, and I think a lot of organizations... You know, we went through this in 2000, and, I, and then you went through another, you know, retransformation of systems. And now I think you're going to go through yet another transformation of systems um, as things start to be, you know, because of the pandemic. I think it's a lot of it is pandemic-driven. Um, and, and, you know, so that means moving to the cloud, moving to AWS, you know, digitizing a lot of what was um, analog before. But that's how we look at the world. And so it's interesting to hear, you know, when you talk about, you know, you know I said the same thing that, that – uh, Jason said, you know, it's that it's every month we go through a prioritization, every cycle where we're, go we're going into the next sprint or trying to think through it, try to looking across, you know, a portfolio that has, I, I think I have 138 products and about 200 or, or 200, almost 300 extensions on those products. You know, it, you're constantly fighting for resources and, and that prioritization is because you, you have I have eleven business units fighting for seventeen hundred people who are in our development organization, and you know, and and without the controls, and, and you know, we're just starting to put this in. It's very hard to say I like it, it's that this versus that, and it's getting to, you know, and that's what you know, and that's what we're hoping to get to. But I think the portfolio for me and, and the prioritization of projects for me is probably the most chaotic part of any given cycle for for not just me, but for all the product leads that, that are. Well, the way you just described the way you just described it, I can see that. I mean, that that's the sheer scale of that is just uh, massive to think about, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, and you were the second point here. I, I, you know, we could probably do full topic of the weeks just on enhancement requests and prioritization. Uh, I mean, those are topics you could go into and I've got a whole bunch of rabbit hole questions. I'm going to leave for that one. But, you know, it was prioritization. So the first two here, the first one was Jason. The second one I moved up was yours, Rob, 
talking about the portfolio. The third one was Greg Fenton when he talked about, you know, he agreed with both of you. Uh, and it's, you know, it's your lens, the single product lens in the day, deluge of enhancement requests or backing out and looking at the portfolio and the limited resources, just as you talked about. It, it's, it's not easy and it's chaotic. Uh, and, you know, if you have process, it's chaotic. If you have methods, it's chaotic. It gets even worse when you don't. Right. So the first or or, or does it? <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, wait. This goes back to your answer from a few weeks ago, Jason, when you talked about not bringing in your enhancement request database across when you lost, you know, and Steve yeah. said you lost it in a You just become the king and everybody doesn't mess with your kingdom. It actually can become quite easy. <laughs> or as Steve yeah, said, we don't have that. Give all the developers uh, the prioritization and they'll get done whatever they feel like doing. And then, you know, it makes it easy. A lot of, and a lot of products still work that way. And, and product managers aren't in the chaos of trying to figure out prioritization. Right. And, and, and a lot of it is because of the dedicated resources and the small, the smallness of the portfolio. We don't have, you know, I would love to have the luxury of, of, um, of that, but we don't, I mean, just having scope creep, having somebody in the, you know, having the, the product owner, all of a sudden add, add something into a sprint that it, it, the, the entire system collapses and, uh, and, and, then, and then we have delays. And well, Scope creep, actually, I, I should have thought of that before because scope creep is a chaos, chaos causer, right? Uh, it, it's terrible. You know, so let's go to the next, the other questions. The first one here was you, Steve. It seems every <laughs> department works for a different company. No one seems to have clarity on their own jobs or the jobs of any of their colleagues. Clarity in roles and responsibility is critical. And I'm going to do a little play on, on words here. I think I'm going to start calling you Antica or Inticha, anti-chaos. You fight <laughs> chaos through clarity. Indeed, indeed. Well, you know, as I was listening to, you know, everyone else talk, you know, I... I, for the companies that do have process, I mean, the chaos comes from people trying to bypass it. You know, my example of the sales guy saying, well, hey, you know, turn in sev ones for everything. You know, you misspelled, you know, a word on a, a screen somewhere, you know, sev one. Um, and my discussions on road mapping, you know, so many people look at that and say, maybe if we do the roadmap just right, we can, you know, have more resources. Um, you know, even when you do have process, uh, it's, it's so frustrating that people are bypassing the process. And I think a lot of that always goes back to clarity and roles. Um, I, I've talked in the past about, you know, are you a products business or are you a consulting shop? And the answer is the salespeople are always in a consulting shop. Uh, and so they honestly think their job is to go out and find anybody with money and then take it and then come back in and say, okay, this guy wants a thing that we've never made before, but it doesn't look that hard to me. I mean, it's just software, right? So if we just took, you know, the UI from that thing and the architecture from that thing, and you probably need a database, you know, we ought to go get one of those. You could just put them together, right? I mean, how hard could it be? And, you know, I'm like, that should be you know, a capital offense. We should just kill them right there on the spot and tell them to stop doing this shit. But how much of that is, you know, they get trained in strategic selling and consultative selling, go find the pain point and stick your finger in it and make it hurt. If we as product management and product marketing and product specialists or whatever the title is, aren't giving them the context for the problems we have and helping them 
guide the conversation around the problems we solve that we know they're going to, you know, th there's the old saying, if, if you don't tell engineers what to build, they're going to build something because that's what they do. And if you don't tell sales what to sell and how to, you know, the, the value prop and the segments, they're going to go sell stuff because that's what they do. You're right. That's a very good point. You're right. So, but, but Steve, is, is, does some of this also, you know, I, it struck me, I, I wrote down because it struck me when you said something that are we really failing in the build by partner type of analysis? I mean, I don't think we, we don't have, um, I've never really met a, a product manager who's really good at, you know, they're either builders, they like to build stuff and there's an organization behind them to build it, or they are partners and acquirers. They like to bolt on stuff. Integrators. Um, and, you know, yeah. And, you know, and we have that in, in, we have that in our company, we have one shop that says, I can't deal with our tech group. I'm going to buy my way forward. Um, and I have another group that, you know, gazillion hours are being spent on, on things that should have probably been, you know, outsourced to somebody else, mm -hmm. um, especially when it comes to AI and things, those types of things. I, I just don't, and I've never met a, a product manager that has really had a good head strategically around that path, that kind of that path forward kind of analysis that says, let me take a second step back. We need to, we need to achieve this, this, and this. And my best way forward is going to be to either build by a partner my way there. So, so Rob, actually, that, that's an amazing transition to the answer I had next in, in sort of the conversation you and I had had earlier. Uh, I had said, while the most recent chaos was an executive, uh, the most frequent chaos has been the engineering trying to do their own thing. A CTO or head of development who thinks their team knows better than the customer and who has not built here syndrome, you know, and wastes time building capabilities that could easily be done with commercial off-the-shelf components and those types of things. I actually, you know, for me... When I got into the more corporate development side of product management, it was because I was at a company where I had a head of engineering who this is how I would describe him, right? Not built here syndrome, thought he knew every, everything better than the product managers or the customers themselves. And my president and I said, okay, if we're going to be able to deliver value to our market, we're not going to get it through him. And we, you know, so we, that's where we started identifying partnerships and acquisitions. I mean, we would, that would sort of be the path, partner, validate the concept and acquire. So, you know, actually that company, I actually had all of them. We had an executive who told me, uh, no, change your numbers because it was the president's idea. <laughs> like, uh -huh. no, that's not, that's chaos, but I wouldn't do it. Uh, we, I had a, a head of sales who said, if insert large manufacturing company name here, wanted to buy forks from us, we'd find a way to sell them forks because they wanted, they would sell whatever the customer asked them for. And then the, you had the same head of engineering who did this here. It was all chaos. Uh, but for the most part, for me, it was an engineer overstepping their, an engineer trying to, you know, we joke about product management trying to solution. Mm -hmm. You know, this was an engineer trying to get into the what, not, you know, outside of the how. Well, it's no one seems to have clarity on their jobs or the jobs of anyone else. Right. Development says, I want to decide what we're going to build. Uh, I want product managers to make it look pretty or to do all the things I don't want to do. And sales says, oh, no, everybody's wrong but me. I've talked to ones of people and I've got uh, an insight on what the market needs. And Steve, I'm going to ask all of us to go over and start over because now I can make that first page about prioritization and the second page about clarity. 
I didn't think about it until you brought that up, and I should have because I was typing clarity multiple times. Indeed. Is it a roadmap issue? Is this all about roadmaps and and the poor use of roadmaps to be able to um, depict what the, the, not just from a strategic, from a a feature-based level or a thematic level, but also from a strategic level? You know, the poor understanding of the market the poor um, architecture of products that that really aren't um, aren't scalable and interoperable, you know, and and then you're stuck, right? You, as a product manager, you're stuck. You have to build, yeah. Because if I can't bolt on and there's no APIs and I and I, then I have to build something because there's nothing else I can do. Is 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 set to put another bandaid on this unless yeah. I and re, unless I modernize the entire platform and so. I think it all comes down to um, to we just we just don't know how to do road mapping well, and, and road mapping from beyond the feature set, more of a strategic level. And, and you know, Rob, I don't know if you saw the the blog I had put out there on the product leadership imperative. But, you know, we've gotten really good at building things efficiently. You know, building them right. Where I feel like the biggest issue, the chance for us to make may major strides in, in delivering value is on building the right things, right? It's the old Drucker thing that, you know, uh, efficiency versus effectiveness, you know, efficiency is building things right. Effectiveness is building the right things. And in most organizations I engage with, I look at their development organizations are like, where can we get more efficient? I'm like, you guys are doing a lot of stuff really efficiently. You might be doing the wrong things efficiently, but you're doing it efficiently. And, and, you know, I look at this and I look at the, the first page of prioritization and definitely mine. I think those all three could, you could put under a strategic roadmap, you know, mm-hmm. what in strategy do we go and how do we do that prioritization? I think Steve's clarity is part of the solution. How do we do a better job understanding that who makes those decisions? Because it's, is it sales, is it executives, or is it, you know, in the reality, who makes the final decision? Jason, who make, do you make the final decision or do you make the recommendation to your head of product or does your head of product make it to the CEO? Who makes the final decision on the strategic things? It is, um, especially with the European company, it's very collaborative and everything's by committee. So it's a camel. Yeah. The old saying that camel is a horse designed by a committee. It, it's, it's, it's essentially that. I mean, I think the for the most part, we have heads of product lines and they are the, I would not the ultimate decision maker, but really close to that. Lead influencer. Um, yeah, exactly. Lead influencer, especially with the business case. They own all the data, the business case um, for things. And so they are really, it's not really the, the chief product officer that we do have in this organization who kind of owns the entire portfolio strategy, if you will. Yep. Um, from kind of a business lens for the next several years and where we want to go, where each of the product line managers are looking at how that product uh, should meet that strategy. Um, but I think that, you know, that is a continuous, that is a, there is an opportunity for continuous improvement there. And I think, you know, going back to what Rob said, you know, if you have a tight roadmap that move, that is responding to a well communicated, agreed upon, kind of excitable strategy that is associated with a vision that everybody's kind of bought into from all areas of the organization, then the movement moves. So then everything moves a lot easier and the chaos is not uh, completely eliminated, 
but is severely diminished. And then on the same side, you have a sales team that is trained with your right toolkits on what to sell in your, in your solutions and how to sell that. So they're, they're, they're not on their own, like running around trying to, like you said, put together things that customer has money that they want to spend money on. And so yeah. I've been in those situations. My current company, we're a little bit more organized and I actually have to encourage my sales team to be a little bit more imaginative to things that I know that we can do that's on our roadmap that we can possibly push forward with a big enough deal. Um, my, they're almost they, like they've been beaten down or something. They're just very, very good sales team. They never sell. That's something that we don't currently have where I'm like, come on, you could dream a little, you know, as long as it's in the, in, in the scope. Um, so there is kind of a little bit of that. You want them to kind of help uh, move us to the, to the next, um, you know, to the next level. But uh, yeah, I kind of went all over the place with your, with the answer there for you. No, it, it, I mean, it, it actually comes back to this whole, I've got this whole concept of for strategic growth framework, where it starts with the corporate strategy, who are you, what do you do? Then it moves to the portfolio mm -hmm. strategy, product market strategy, and go to market strategy. And we, you know, it, you need to have those guide rails there to give them, you know, show them where the guide rails are. So they, you know, stay within them, but also give them enough visibility into the vision of where we're going so they can have the flexibility to, to do that. But it comes down to role clarity to do that properly. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and, and having the stuff there, Rob, who makes the final call for prioritization for you guys? It's at the business owner level. So within our division, we have, um, four major, five major product uh, business units. And then it rolls out to about 11 sub-business units. And each one rolls up to a, either if it's a sub-business unit, it has a general manager and they're making the call. If it's a major business unit, like our bank broker dealer business unit or an issuer business unit, um, it'll go to the uh, business owner, the president of that, that, thing, that unit. So you have a product manager advocating for their whatever, that goes to a, what we call a portfolio product manager or a product lead that owns all the product bundles in that business unit that then rolls up to a, um, to a business owner, either a president or a general manager. And then monthly we go through a prioritization process and you're going to laugh. And, and I'm sure Jason, this, this probably happens in his role too. And then it comes down to our CTO deciding what to do. <laughs> so, so everything gets done and then it's, then it's out of product's hands altogether. And it comes down to somebody yeah. who really doesn't have a product hat on. Yeah. Chaos. <laughs> Chaos. So well, we Rob, get I'm actually, you know, in, in the, the organization I'm currently in, it's interesting. The dynamic has been for at least a, a, a while now that the product management has a little bit too much authority, I think. Um, I like the nice balance between the head of technology and the head of product management because I want to make sure that we are not introducing more uh, technical debt and they're moving in the, in the right process with regards to DevOps and those kind of things. And so there, it, I've seen it you know, in organizations where you have a great relationship between the head of products and the head of technology. In the company I'm in kind of now, it's like the product the head of products really kind of rules the roost and the head of technology is just there to kind of catch. And, um, yeah, we're, and we're, I, we're I would like to bring that up more. Sorry. I said we're flipped the other way. Yeah. Um, where I think technology has a little too much to say in, in, in what we do on a, on a, on an ongoing basis. 
So that could be another, that could be another uh, topic. Another you. installment of, yeah, yeah like, no, it definitely, it definitely, well, I, I think it partly goes into the concept, you know, of there's no I in growth, right? You know, growth is a team sport and how do we work together across all of it? And I'll lead that into the poll question here. Obviously you can see my, my answer in the poll was executives, but my answer in the open-ended was the CTO engineering. <clears throat> and let me explain that. I was separating like C-suite executives from the on the feet on the ground people you work with to partner with. So I was good at working with my, my dev lead. I was good with working with marketing and sales engineers, you know, but it was the executive. It was the chaos in the executive in the in leadership team meeting about how do you make those decisions? Obviously other people put executives there too. Where did you guys vote, Jason? Rob? I mean, I voted on product management. I, I, you know, I never pay enough attention to this particular part of your <laughs> week. <laughs> I, I put I put all of my hope in you on day on the Monday, so you're, you're allowed and I to just lose it. I'm like, I get to the survey, and I'm like, I look at the first word, and then I just take the first answer always. Um, but I, I think actually, I think sales traditionally has been where it's been a lot of chaotic, and I say sales as probably more current accounts, not necessarily net new for people that are trying to keep their current customers happy because there's always the threats of contracts. Hey, I have customers going to leave if they don't get this new thing by tomorrow, or, you know, we're going to do a renewal and in the renewal, they need to have this new thing and, and they paid for it. So you need to have it done. So that, that's where all the chaos kind of happened. So I think I rolled that into product management because it was the product managers that were kind of dealing that with the input from the enhanced request, the executives, Every once in a while, they might have a desire or need, and they may trump something and, and create a new strategy that is outside of our process of actually, uh, you know, creating those tactics. But it's never been too much of a too much of an issue for me there. It's always been at that level. Damn, you took me back to college and the ability to answer a question you weren't sure what would ask it, and just come out and pull it out of your and actually have a really good answer. Yeah, well, I was a I was a nuclear power in the Navy, and that's all we did. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, make me feel real comfortable now. <laughs> Rob, what was your answer? I chose development, which, you know, which you can, you can hear just in the comments I've had of all my frustration. We, we never, sales and marketing for us, we, we'll, you know, we'll be pulled into RFPs and we'll be pulled into, you know, if, if a customer wants something, they're paying for it. So it comes in as a, you know, a paid for customization that gets prioritized very we have on our our um, prioritization uh, screening tool we have an executive override and it's hardly ever used so somebody had a good idea over the weekend while they were you know on their boat and uh it's it's hardly ever used so most of our problem is we have you know product management has an idea what they want to do and you know like as i said before we get everything prioritized and then you know and then it becomes the cto that sort of decides the fate of, he's like the Lord of the Manor. It sort of decides the fate of, uh, of, of what you've just prioritized. And then it gets scheduled. I mean, when I got to, you know, our, our waterfall process could be a, could be a 400 day, you know, event. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, so it's, uh, you know, you can have, really have things that, that, that take a long time. Um, and, and that's all because of, uh, of development. It's all because yeah. of that world. Yeah. Steve, how about your vote? My vote was for executives, but it was the pretty much the same point I made before, and that is, I, 
I've seen such an incredible focus that comes from executives who are all working from the same hymn book. And yet I've encountered in certainly in my consulting, so many companies where the VP of sales is running his own company and the VP of technology is running his own company and the VP of marketing is like, I don't know what you guys are talking about. Let's make a new brand, you know, and (laughs) everybody's running their own company and nobody is on the same page. Um, so that's that's where I see the chaos, and and then it just you know it just trickles down. It's like here's the product manager saying, "I just came from a class with Steve Johnson, and he told me that I'm in charge." And then you know I went and sold the developers that, and they just burst out laughing, right? So uh, clarity of roles uh, probably comes from the top. Well, I, I, I would, that makes total sense because they they have to be providing that vision and where it's going to go. So, yes, Jason. Can I ask a question? Yes, please. I just did without permission. Hey, um, Steve, quick question for you regarding that. I mean, I find I'm having a lot of conversations today around who in the organization is doing systems thinking and systems being the organization of the entire organization. So, you know, what does product marketing need to do to feed into marketing? What is development doing in Mm -hmm. QA and, and, and that process? What does DevOps needs, development, product management, even account, even accounting and billing, and of course the sales components. Do, is there anybody in an organization when we talk about roles that really is designed to think about the entire organization as a system, or is it really just kind of product management? Um, I'm going to defer to Grant here in just a second, but yes, <laughs> so, uh, let me let me start by saying product management should in fact be looking at systems thinking and just in terms of systemizing i've got ideas we turn them into requirements we empower development we empower marketing we empower sales we look at friction all along the way and look for ways to correct that Um, but it's not as comprehensive of what you described so grant so uh, it's a great question, Jason. Actually, a question we could do for a topic of the week. That's my official comeback this week. Uh, so we're product management and product strategy people. We tend to look at the world and markets and products, right? If you look at strategic planning or strategy for a corporation, do you know what percentage of that is markets and products? Pretty small, 25. Uh, I'd say half of it, but, but there, then there's... You know, cost of capital investment, you know, there's a whole bunch of stuff. So organi- great big organizational design. There are firms out there that do organizational theory and design to help build the future of work. And they're doing systems thinking. Bigger the company, the harder that is. You know, we, we, we hear Rob's stories. You know, some of the best product leaders I've seen coming from a market-focused approach outside in look at it and say, mm-hmm. I'm not going to come here unless you say, agree to a market-focused approach that starts with product, going out and understanding the markets and identifying the strategy. And then everything that's upstream, right? And everything downstream we runs off of that. I just started listening to, uh, I think it's Dan Heath, whose book is uh, Upstream. So Chip and Dan did a whole bunch of books one of the brothers, I think it was Dan, just came up with one upstream. And it's really that it is systems thinking. He was actually talking about that today. And what it, he tells a story about, you know, a parable that he was told about uh, public health. And he says, you know, say you're at the park by a river and all of a sudden you see a kid drowning. 
and you dive in to start saving the kid. And then another kid's dying. So your friend, all of a sudden you keep save, jumping in to save drowning kids. And all of a sudden you see your friend running up the river upstream and you say, what are you doing? Where are you going? Oh, I'm going to go tackle that guy who keeps throwing kids in the river. <laughs> <clears throat> and in a way, product management done right is, get, is that system thinking Absolutely to say, that. how do we get upstream to make sure we understand the markets and we're priori prioritizing the right things? And then we are enabling. We talked about it with technology. We talked about it with sales and marketing. How do we enable them with the right context and stuff to help them do what they're doing? So big picture here, system thinking, roles and clarity, you should be an ability to build that upstream to downstream, upstream, midstream, downstream. I've actually done that type of thinking with some of my clients about what processes and, and artifacts are upstream, where does that, and the decision point for me is commit, right? As soon as you commit on something, it moves to downstream, which is delivering on that. Any thoughts on that, so, Rob? Because Yeah, because we, we're going through this right now. And um I love when Steve talks about clarity of role because it, it truly has changed our thinking. So we, we took, we went to BCG, we brought in the BCG process for role mandates and we designed seven roles, six roles um, within our product organization, product, there's product management and there's product support. We went through an organization that when I got there was about 600 or 650 people that sort of fit, fell into this. And we've now rationalized it down to about 450 people. So, um, we have 10 product, what we call portfolio product managers, and then there's 100 product managers, and then it goes on from there through technical product managers, product support, product analysts, slash product owners to take care of the agile nature that we're trying to evolve to, and then UI, UX people. And you know, from that, we built RACI, which I hate. I think RACI is a useless exercise. We built um, and then from there, we actually started to do, um, to look at our organization. Because when you go through the role mandate, it's what am I accountable for? Where are those shared accountability points? And then what are all the metrics are going to be held to? And we're, rolling, we're in the process now of rolling all that out and actually doing training through that. So to Grant's point, you know, when you, you know, now everybody knows, you know, communication is the biggest part of this. And now everybody knows I'm responsible for this. I need to partner on that and I need to communicate with these other stakeholders. And it's not just sales and marketing. We get caught up in sales and marketing. It's sales operations. It's finance. It's our billing and invoicing folks. You know, it's all the other people. There's, there's dozens of, um, if you look at our racing matrix, and this is why I hate it because it just becomes over, over overwhelming. There's dozens of stakeholders that a product manager has to touch and now it's all defined. And now we're going in the process. We're actually starting the process of rolling that out. So we, we did two things. We went to P Towers Perrin and we brought in their methodology to level. So every person, every 450 people in our product organization are now leveled. And that means they're either an individual contributor or they're a manager. And we've gone through these leveling so that we can determine, well, Rob's a level is an individual contributor P3 P6 is the highest where you're a guru. And now we're putting a training plan and professional development together. We're looking at all the underlying processes in our PD&M uh, process so that we can understand what we have to build from an output, from an input, and you know, what, what are the skill sets that our, our product organization needs. And we, then we hired a company called Intuition that is actually working with us to actually take all this and integrate it into an LMS system, which we use Workday, 
but integrated into an LMS system so we can push things out to the product managers. I, you know, I've never seen a transformation like this. It started in our little division, you know, in, in, um, in at Broadridge and then the company. And I, and I was talking to Steve about this. I've never seen an organization where I've never been involved in an organization where they had an enterprise product management group, but we created an enterprise product management group. That's really looking at the PDNM process holistically at the UI UX library holistically at all these things that we do from a product management process, uh, you know, and, and, and metrics standpoint on a holistic basis to roll out best practices across the organization. So it's not down in the HR department of, uh, you know, in, in our division or the other division. It's not down in our division. It's not left with us. We're, we're sort of collaborating across the organization. And I've never seen that before. And I, and I was very, Jason, very, very skeptical of it. But it's working really, really well having this uh, enterprise group sort of, sort of be the, the you know, because it reports right into the CEO, and it's sort of the, you know, you get the, you get you get the right on the coattails of the CEO, which means but, you got to do it. But that also, you know, you look at where we voted for executive. Executives are the could be the most chaos in the product management process. But in a situation where you have it prioritized, the executive understands and gets it. To Jason's question. He's pushing system thinking and he's looking at the enterprise product management group to be that upstream guide to how do we, you know, the person at the back of the boat who's helping guide the boat, help him guide it to understand what do we need to do? Yes, Steve. It's but I think they drive process. <laughs> I think they drive yeah. process. They don't drive decisions. No, they're exactly. Not, no, nobody, nobody in enterprise product management is having an impact or effect on what gets built. No, no product manager reports to them. What they're doing is they're driving a process, process that allows us to... Yeah. Right. And but that's that's how you get that's clarity, right? It's clarity in role, clarity of process. A hundred percent, because now everybody has, you know, what we call to, again, you know, Steve talks about this, what we call a product manager is a product manager everywhere. The metrics that we use, the data that we're able to provide through through our new dashboards is it's the same on, in, in any one of our business units as it is on the, on the, across the organization. Apples and apples. But you also get you also get something that you never we never had before, which is a, port, a product-focused portfolio view of, the, of, of our business, which really never existed before. It existed in P&Ls yeah. that were, you know, and, and I, I don't have to tell you how P&Ls are created at a portfolio level. But now you can literally drive, because we, we spent, we did, we, data, we did a data transformation. So we can literally drive from a product, from a division from a from Broadridge to a division to a to a business unit to a product bundle to a product to an extension all the way down to the billing item and to who bought it and look across our entire portfolio and say well JP Morgan you know buys all of this from us so you know just being able to create that clarity at the and it wouldn't have gotten done if it was done at a at a divisional level yeah. it needed that to, to what Steve's asking it needed that the enterprise sponsor. group yeah. to be able to sponsor perfect well, I needed the CEO. The CEO had to be the one doing it. I, you know, no, because I, I, I worked with a really big company in the fintech space and they had a COO who, who was, they had a product solution management group, right? Who met and helped try to drive standards. And as soon as that COO left, the person who took over was a sales focused person and all of a sudden got rid of all the investment in that. So having the CEO is good at that. It also comes down to the importance of executives. So we're going to move to our questions. There's been a really good deep dive on clarity and how it impacts chaos. But let's talk about, you know, 
it, it sort of falls in line with that, right? So Rob's talking here about the importance of process and in, in, in clarity. And Steve, I'm going to go to you on this one first because you started answering this question earlier, right? When you talked was about so long ago, was it Keith, Eric, Kevin, the sales guy? Oh, Kevin, the sales guy. Yeah. yeah. yeah How yeah, much yeah. chaos is created by the lack of process versus <sighs> lack of adhering to process? Well, yeah, you know, in my consulting work, I am truly amazed at the number of people who either have no process at all, or they've got this, um, this convoluted process that is, you know, uh, incomprehensible. Uh, certainly, you know, my Kevin story was, you know, here's a guy who routinely bypasses existing process. Uh, but, you know, most of all, I, I think the majority of companies have spent a lot of money um, proceduralizing development. You know, we've got DevOps now, you know, we've got daily builds, we've got check-in, check-out. I mean, they've really optimized the building. And, and Grant, you said this earlier, now they're finding that we know how to build product. We don't know what product to build. And a, a lot of, you know, internal IT folks are coming to me and saying, you know, hey, we need to adopt product management, even in internal IT, because products never die. I mean, if you, you know, you build something, there's always enhanced requests. Even if you install a third-party product, you know, it, 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 the, the project never dies. And so a lot of companies are embracing that product management thing. But then they say, okay, well, you know, what's the product management process? You know, and I show them, you know, what typically happens is people say, well, let's build this perfect process, you know, where everyone is a good actor and, um, information is is comprehensive and nobody breaks the rules and it's convoluted and ridiculous and you know like grounded in democracy you know everybody gets a vote you're on mute is that from lake wobegon <laughs> right everyone all everyone's kids are above average <laughs> uh so anyway in my work what i'm seeing is an absolute lack of process so that was a long answer to get to a, a definitive point. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bypass Rob because he just talked a whole bunch about the importance of process. And they're in the, the front stage of rolling those things out. Jason, talk to me about adherence of process. So I, uh, I like process as an outline because it gives you something to go back to when you get kind of lost in the woods. Mm -hmm. But I do not like it as a replacement for kind of intelligence. And so, Good point. yeah, I, I mean, at some point there is, you can't, you can't AI your way out of product management. You know, there is a bit of gut, there's a bit of intuition, and, mm -hmm. and a lot of those things are not going to be outlined inside a process. And, and so th th and I think that's kind of where you're going, Steve, with some of this mm -hmm. kind of outside the bell curve areas is like, you know, how do we handle those kind of components? And that is the art of the product manager. I well, it, it's okay. not like you can't just create a robot of product managers who all have the same capability to do the same thing. I, I, I completely agree that it's a core baseline. We can't be too prescriptive on step one, step two, step three, step three, a step three, B step three, mm -hmm. C, right. You need the you know, outcomes, right manage them on the outcomes for each. So artifacts and what you're getting to how people get to them. Now we may be able to dig in, after the fact to see the quality of the artifact say, okay, wait, did you do your market 
engagement visits? Did you validate this type of stuff? But mm -hmm. you can, you, you got to give them, you know, here's what we're looking for. Here's the outcome, but the process is part of that, the outcome in the process, right? But give them the freedom to apply some of their own capabilities to that. Yeah, Rob, any quick comments? Yeah, the only thing... Sorry, go ahead. The only, thing, the only thing I would say is um, I love process. Um, and I, I think process becomes your day-to-day your day -day manager um, because you can't manage people. The, the process is what manages. Where, where I, it, when I was in consulting, management consulting, where I tend to see problems is when there's inconsistencies. Two things, inconsistency in the process. And, and so nobody really knew what they were doing and ambassadorization of the process. Management just, just didn't you know, adhere to what they, what they put in place and they bastardize it for their own their own benefit, and and that creates inconsistencies, and and the and then the process falls apart. Mm -hmm. Well, I'll go back to uh, upstream and the stuff from Dan Heath. He was talking about how if you manage, you know, most of our systems manage the reactive nature, right? You can measure how many tickets a cop gives, right? Which is the reactive nature. You don't measure how many accidents a cop being paying attention to stops, right? And so you need to make sure you're, you're looking at the outcome, not the activity at times mm -hmm. uh, when you're doing that system thinking. So, all right, let's move to the next question. I'm going to put this one to Rob. What is the best approach to getting out of the chaos? Process. <laughs> Process. <laughs> um, I, you know, one is, uh, well, I, I think recognizing that there's chaos. Right. And, and, yeah. and measuring what the impact is because some of the chaos is emotional, unmeasurable, and some of it is real and measurable and it's either causing delays and you can quantify that, that problem. Um, I'll, I'll be honest. I mean, again, I'll, I'll say I, I love process. I love, I, I, there's nothing better than a good workflow. Um, and again, not to, not to create so many guardrails on everything or not to, not to, to give guardrails to the thing. You know, when I teach, you know, I don't, I don't, when we get to like the final and the midterm, which is for me is, is all about presentation and having the students get up and, and present. I don't say to them, here's what I'm looking for. Go explore and be creative. I say, here are the questions I'd like you to answer. Here's what I want to see on page one, two, three, and four. And, I, and I've always done that. Even with my, my large product management teams, I've always done that. You know, the more you can create consistency in your message, the more you can create um, you know, an ask and answer kind of thing, because remember that the product manager doesn't know how to present. And the person who's supposed to listen to that presentation to make a decision doesn't know what the, what they need to listen for in order to make the decision, you know? And so if you can bring those two together and create better communication through process, um, I just think it, it you know, it, it, it's predict it's creating predictability and the more you can remove, you know, unpredictable uh, behaviors and, and things, the better off, the less cash you're going to have. No, I, I agree. And actually, Rob, I would say I'm, I'm dealing with this with a client right now. The first thing we're doing is actually baselining the existing process and outcomes. So start with the baseline of how is it happening now, formally and informally, and, and what are the results? And then from that, you can then manage, you can build to the ideal for them because everybody's, every company is different than any other company right? You can identify where the, at least the easiest move is going to be and start managing the change to go from how it's done now, keep the things that people feel work and, and, and do, but then move to the, you add to it so you can bring more value to it. 
Steve, your thoughts. Well, I already agreed with uh, Rob on, on, on process, but I'll take it a step further. Um, I've always believed in playbooks. Um, it, I, I, some people say it with scorn, you know, it's like, you know, this person can only fill out a template or it's paint by numbers, but let's start with paint by numbers. You know, you you, you, you do end up with a picture of a house with a horsey next door. If you've got, you know, a playbook and I, I can't tell you the times I've, I've, uh, encountered people who say I've been well, I've been brought on board. This company has no process and I'm scrambling, you know, does anybody have a template like this? And that's some of what we're trying to address with the, the court's open framework is to say, you know, here's a framework, here's a set of standardized templates that you can use and modify. Um, but, uh, well, for instance, a client I worked with uh, this week, they loved my product canvas. You know, and it's not like it's it's rocket surgery, as Kevin, the sales guy, used to say. Um, it's just a simple form, and yet it's everything in one place, and it gives you a starting place. So, yeah, I, I'm big on playbooks. Well, and, and I mean, look at how much strategizer in 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 the product uh, or in the the business model canvas, business model canvas, and value prop canvases have helped with the chaos of innovation, those types of things. And Rob, yes, that's a whole new topic that I will want to go in with you on one of these calls. Just because the time, Jason, I'm not going to give you a chance on this one, unless you, Just unless say you yes, had- Just say yes, you agree with Steve. Yes, I'm just going to say, I'm going to say discipline of the process is key to successful process. Yes. Sweet. Good save. Good save. Well, you're going to get a chance to start because I am going left to right, my left to right, and Jason is to my left. For our rapid fire uh, question to finish this up, what is your first piece of advice to a product manager dealing with chaos? Somebody's uh, in chaos is dealing with chaos. What's your first thing that you advice for them? Take a step back from your day to day and observe where the chaos is happening, the source of the chaos. Awesome, Rob. Yeah, I was going to say something similar, which was. Um, you first need to recognize that it is chaotic and take a step back and, and try to understand it. Steve. Well, remove the log from your own eye before you complain about the moat in another. <laughs> you know, make sure you're is doing... That's from the Bible. Yeah. Uh, it pro <laughs> probably was misquoted. So I'll have to now look it up. But I, actually, uh, I was thinking that was like a version of the where hold the cup in the in the left hand. So you're reading it, the <laughs> opinions, although <laughs> interesting or irrelevant. I thought that was the <laughs> Yeah, well, all I was trying to say was, you know, look to yourself first. I mean, I, I, I see people walk into a company and say, Oh, everyone here is broken. You're like, Okay, well, first, have you done your job? Yeah. But I'm inclined to agree with Robin and Jason. No, I'm, I'm going to ditto that as well. I, see, I was going to use this whole great experience. You know, I remember teaching my son how to catch a fly ball when he was in Little League. And the biggest problem they have is they always start running right in, right? And if you run right into chaos, the ball is going to fly over your head. And so it's take a step back. See mm -hmm. the forest for the trees. Zoom out. And, and try to figure it out. And I'll be honest, it's not just with chaos. I mean... As somebody who works with executives on being more strategic, it's, it's amazing 
how often they are in the reactive mode of, of saving drowning kids and not thinking about why are there all these kids drowning, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? How do we go? How do we go? Yeah. F- First f- put out the fire and then figure out what's <clears throat> causing the fires. Yeah. And so with that said, Rob, Jason, Steve, as always, it's a pleasure to have this conversation uh, with you guys each week and other people who, as they come uh, Monday, the question gets posted Wednesday, we got a poll. Friday, we have these unbelievably wonderful and fun conversations. So thank you guys very much. Thanks for listening to the Business of Product topic of the week brought to you by Product Growth Leaders. If you haven't yet, go to your Apple, Android, or favorite podcast app to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join us next week for another episode. And for more great content and to participate in the topic of the week conversation, go to community.productgrowthleaders.com and join the conversation.